0: Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, K-Pasa, mi amigos. Shalom, namaste. Wassalamu alaikum, Konnichiwa. Wendell's World and Sports. But yours truly, Wendell Wallace, is the most thought-provoking, entertaining podcast, sports talk podcast that you can listen to. I talk about the NFL. I talk about college football. I talk about the NBA. I talk about college basketball. I talk about the loves of my life, the Georgetown Hoyas. I talk about UFC, MMA, AEW, WWE. And sometimes I just might go ahead and talk about what else is happening in the world. Wherever you listen, to your favorite podcast download subscribe rate review and enjoy the man who brings it with the plan wendell's world and sports download rate review and enjoy anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World is Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim, double clutch, no good, to Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C., metropolitan area, RIP, RUIN, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Man, you damn right. I'm RIP, RUIN, ready to go. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Before I do that, though, I want to give a special dedication, I want to give a shout out, I want to give my thoughts and my prayers and my sympathies for those who are still battling the elements, who are still battling what's been going down in Louisiana, in the northeastern states, the hurricane and all the other weather issues that they're having. Stay strong, stay, uh, stay positive. I hope that you guys are thriving and surviving and doing what you need to do for yourselves and for your family members and for your children and I um, just want you to know that at least with me, my thoughts and my prayers and my condolences are with you and also with those who are pretty soon going to be evicted from their homes by no forces by no uh fault of their own I also want to uh give you my thoughts and my prayers and my condolences and also uh my words of hey man just stay strong and you know be there for your kids be there for your husband be there for your wife be there for your grandparents and everybody in that family circle and those who uh, love you man I just want those to know who are going through those struggles, that uh, my thoughts and my prayers are with you. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Que passe mi amigo? Miyama, Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World and Sports, so glad that you could be with us. Shalom. wassalam alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Konnichiwa, namaste, bonjour, bonsoir. Monsieur, mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports, so glad that you could be with us. Before I begin, I hope that you're doing everything that you need to do, man. Come on. Come on, especially right now. We need to be... Continuing this journey that we're on to make sure that we have in a society people that are loving, caring, giving, understanding, educating, listening, learning, dropping the privilege, and taking it one day at a time to improve the world that we live in, man. That's exactly what we need right now, and I hope that you're doing your part. I hope that you're doing anything that you need to do to make your block, to make your neighborhood, to make your space, to make your place, to make this planet. To make this universe a much better place to be in. Wendell's World and Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Okay, on the program today, let's go ahead and talk some college football. Not going to be talking too much about the NFL. I'm gonna say that no need for me to sit there and talk about who you think the MVP is gonna be, what you think Dak Prescott is gonna do. What about the Tampa Bay Tom, Tampa Tom Bay Buccaneers? Are they going to repeat? Who's gonna challenge the Kansas City, AFC champions in the, their division. Which team is going to be a surprise? Which team is going to fail? Which team is overrated? Which team is underrated? Save all that nonsense for later. They really don't need to talk about that stuff. The NFL preseason, look, every, everybody's talking about the NFL preseason. I don't watch the NFL preseason. You know why? Because for me, the first four to six weeks, of the NFL season for me is my preseason in terms of watching, in terms of evaluating, in terms of putting stuff down, in terms of building a narrative about which team is good, which team isn't good, which team looks like Super Bowl contenders, which team doesn't, which teams have a great quarterback, which team needs to go with a new quarterback, all these type of things. It takes me about four weeks, a regular season real play for me to start uh, evaluating and, and, and giving some long-term um thoughts and opinions about this because how many times have we seen this in the nfl man you know this how many times have we seen a team jump out to a great record everything's going great everything's doing swell and they wind up missing the playoffs sometimes they wind up not even having a winning record when everything is all seven said and done now with 17 games this season man you're really going to be sitting there before the season starts and talked about and talking about Who's going to be winning this division? Who's going to be winning this conference? What quarterback is going to be great? What quarterback is going to be doing what? We have Trevor Lawrence starting. We have Zach Wilson starting. We have um, Mac Jones starting. And all of a sudden now we're going to start making evaluations on how their team is going to do. Well, we haven't seen any of those rookie quarterbacks take one snap in a real game for real. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go down that road. Now, give me four or five weeks, give me three or four weeks. Okay, I'll start building a narrative of what I want to say in terms of how Wilson and Fields and Jones and Lawrence and Lance maybe. And I'll start, give give me a little bit of time with them playing against real competition in the NFL before I start building my thoughts and feelings about them. But no, I'm not going to be doing that before the season starts, which is all to say this podcast today is going to be all about college football. And hear me out now. I'm going to save the uh, last part of the... The last segment of the program is going to be about Naomi Osaka losing in the um, U.S. Open. No, hold on, hold on. Would you please stop moaning? Would you please stop with your moaning and groaning and cursing me out and your eyes rolling? Would you please stop and just let me speak for a second? Thank you. This is more about uh, her quitting the game for a while. Mental health issues, getting herself together. She doesn't know if she's going to play again. So I'm going to be tackling that. I'm not getting into... Her loss to in the third round, none of that. I'm just going to be talking about Osaka, man. Let me tell you, Neanderthal, something, man. When it comes to tennis globally, comparing tennis to the NFL and college football, l- let me tell you something. The much more, the sport that garners much more attention globally, 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 is tennis. There is no college football player out there that can come close to the impact in the magnitude of Naomi Osaka globally. Now, down there in Tuscaloosa, or down there in in Columbus, or down there in Tallahassee, or down there in, uh, you know, some of these other college football hotbeds, Naomi Osaka don't mean shit down there in Clemson, South Carolina, but this is not a podcast for those in SEC country. This is for those who are listening to this podcast in Australia, those who are listening to this podcast in Paris, those who are listening to this podcast in Bangladesh, those who are listening to this podcast in Pakistan, those who are listening to this podcast in Madrid, those who are listening to this podcast in Johannesburg. Those are the people, along with others, that I'm trying to reach, not just those in the southeastern part of the racist, ignorant, divided, selfish states of America, so please, Indulge me. I put it at the end of the podcast after I get all of my college football talk out of the way. If you would, if you would please, I would appreciate that. Thank you. Wendell's world in sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So let's go ahead and let's get right into it, right? Because, um, you know, the game of the week, I guess you could say, this weekend was supposed to be number five ranked Georgia playing number three ranked Clemson. And the uh, 1970s called they want their uh, football game back. In fact, that's what happened during the uh, third quarter of that game. The 1970, 1970s called and Woody Hayes and Bo Schembechler said, Hey, man, we want our college football game back. What the hell are y'all doing? 10-3. to 10-3. <laughs> Didn't Alabama and LSU play a 6-3 to three game a little while ago? About, I don't know, 9 or 10 years ago. Les Miles versus Nick Saban, and everybody lost their mind and said, if this is the way college football is going to be, we got to change because uh, we can't be having some shit like this. And I think later on in that season, LSU and Alabama met again for the uh, national championship in which Alabama won in a 21-14 victory, and that sparked another, hey, man, we got to change the game a little bit because if it's going to be like this, we're going to uh, lose a lot of uh, impact in terms of our importance and relevance in the uh, sporting world here in this country So they had to make some changes So, man, it was like Shays reminiscing of those times 6-3, 1970 football A slobber knocker, as my man Jim Ross would say Number 5 Georgia over number 3 Ranked Clemson 10-3 to three. Um Biggest win, I guess you could say, for Kirby Smart In the era of him being the head coach At the University of Georgia The defense, as always, was outstanding for Georgia. It was really good <clears throat> for Clemson, and if Clemson had an offensive line and a couple of uh, running backs and receivers, they would have uh, they would have stood a much better chance of winning this ba- uh, winning this football game, regardless of how great Georgia's defense was. But when you mix in the front seven that Georgia had in the still subpar to below average offensive line that Clemson has. And it seems that Clemson now, their offensive line is not progressing or improving. It's regressing. If you take a look at Trevor Lawrence getting the shit kicked out of him during the uh, national semifinal game against Ohio State, and then their next game after that, they uh, go ahead and put on that type of performance or this type of performance against the Georgia Bulldogs, Uh, alarm bells should be ringing pretty loudly when it comes to the Clemson football team and his offensive line. But the Georgia defense, on the other hand, was also outstanding. Held Clemson to 180 yards, a total offense, two yards, two yards rushing. Now that, that accounts for sacks also, but still, two yards rushing. Sophomore quarterback DJ Ui Ugalele, Ugi Ugi, was it? Ui Ungale. Thank you. Ui Ungale. Say that seven times fast. He was sacked seven times. <laughs> and uh, the Bulldogs forced... Five three and outs and punts on five of Clemson's 10 drives. It, it seemed to me that the only way Clemson was going to move the ball was just to throw the ball down the field and hope for pass interferences. That that was it. There, there was no balls being thrown down the field. There was no taking the top off the defense. There were no gadget trick plays, nothing out of the box. It was seemed to be very vanilla. It seemed to be very cautious. And uh, seemed to be very boring And it seemed to be a a game plan That um, showed that as far as the matchup Between the Georgia defense versus the Clemson offense That Clemson knew that the Georgia defense Was far superior in that situation So they did everything that they could not to lose the game And what happened? The only touchdown that was scored in the game Was an interception return for a touchdown late In the second quarter So in all essence, even making one mistake in terms of that interception cost clemson the game so yeah 74 yard interception return by christopher smith 258 remaining in the second quarter ball game the three points scored by clemson on a saturday night and they ain't got nobody i got some money because i just got paid were the lowest points scored in the Dabo Sweeney era, since or the, the most the least amount of points that Clemson has scored since 2007, Sweeney took the job in 2008. So yeah, so I mean, what in the world of Mark of 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 uh you know of, of great quarterbacks that have come through Clemson, the Trevor Lawrence's and the, the Sean Watsons and such. What what has become of this offense for Clemson? We'll get into that in just a second. Wendell's world in sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So. After this victory Georgia over Clemson That when we're taking a look at the rankings next week Georgia should be the number two ranked team In the country after this And if you take a look at the schedule Everything is set up for Georgia to make the playoffs I'm thinking that look The remaining schedule they play UAB, South, Al- uh, South Carolina They're at Vanderbilt, Arkansas At Auburn, Kentucky Florida and the uh, uh, Missouri at Tennessee Charleston Southern And at Georgia Tech The biggest outdoor cocktail party that's what i was looking for in terms of florida playing florida is concerned so that'll be on a neutral site so you're taking a look at the schedule the only real threat on paper for georgia to lose is florida so if they can get by them there's no reason why georgia shouldn't be undefeated by the time the season ends and The way Alabama is looking, they play Alabama in the SEC championship game. More important than the way Alabama is playing is also the way uh, a team like LSU is playing. We'll get into that later on in the podcast. So this is it, man. I I don't know in terms of Kirby Smart going into his fifth year. I don't know any time during his tenure uh, at uh, Georgia being the head coach. I, I don't know if it sets up any better for him. Because if you take a look, man, after coming so close in twenty seventeen of winning that championship before losing it in overtime twenty-six to twenty-three when um Tua Tung of threw that pass in the end zone for that touchdown. After that, man, it was supposed to be a situation where look, man, you know, Alabama had themselves a new rival in Georgia. Clemson wasn't totally on the scene yet in terms of really being what they were for the next couple of years, but it was like after that game It was like, man, Kirby Smart and Georgia, man, this is a situation where even they, it was a win, even in a loss, because it elevated that program. So we're speaking about recruits all of a sudden saying, hey, wait a minute, man, this is something that I want to go to. This is a program that I want to deal with. And we're speaking about Athens, Georgia, a wonderful, um college town if you're a you know high profile athlete if you're a a great football player to go down there and beautiful women and wonderful scenes and great parties and you know a whole lot of opportunities for conquest with the females down there if you're a star football player and get yourself ready for the nfl draft and you know play in the sec and play on cbs and all of these all of the perks that come with playing on an SEC team and playing in Georgia, and now you're going to be on equal footing with Alabama. This was supposed to be in playing for a coach in Kirby Smart, who would you want to play with, young, energetic, this type of thing. That game was supposed to be the catapult for Georgia, not just competing with Alabama, but how many times have we uh, started to write the, uh, write the sentence, write the column about the possibility of this might be you know, Nick, Nick Saban might be getting some competition. Might uh, Nick Saban might be getting some serious competition. Well, in 2017, after that national championship game, or after that national championship game, it was about, well, you know, guess what? Georgia is the new kids on the block, and let's see what they can do. Well, in 2018, they started off number three in the Associated Press Top 25, won 11 of his first 12 games before losing a 14-point lead to Alabama in the SEC Championship game. Tua coming in for, no, I'm sorry, um, Jalen Hurts coming in for Tua Tungavailoa and uh, bailing them out, allowing Alabama to uh, go ahead and play in the National Football Championship game. Georgia still stinging from that loss, played Texas in the Sugar Bowl and lost 28-21 and finished the season 11-3 and and ranked number eight. Okay, all right, but you know, still, it's, Georgia's right there. You know, eleven out of winning eleven out of their first twelve were right there in the position to play for the college football playoffs. We're going toe to toe with Alabama. All right, here we go. Good job. Twenty nineteen, Georgia was ranked number five in the preseason. They won their first five games of the season, beat Notre Dame, who was ranked number seven at the time, twenty three seventeen. Then they went ahead and double overtime and lost to South Carolina, twenty seventeen. Then won the rest of their games before losing to LSU, thirty seven to ten in the SEC championship game. Beat Baylor in the Sugar Bowl, finished the season ranked number four in the country. All right, all right. Now many people, Georgia fans, after that national championship game against Alabama, were saying championship, championship, championship. Now all of a sudden they wanted to put Georgia on the same level as expectations are concerned as those with the Ohio States when Urban Meyer was doing the thing up at uh, up in Columbus. Wanted to put the Georgia football program on the same level with the expectations of Alabama. I mean, I just read you. I just told you exactly the 2018 season of Georgia. Finishing, you know, preseason number three, winning 11 of their uh, first 12 games, was right there toe-to-toe with Alabama in the SEC Championship game. One game, one play, one quarter a win from getting to uh, play for a, championship by getting into the uh, semifinals and then doing so, knocking off the evil empire with Nick Saban in Alabama, many people would say, man, that was a huge success. Kirby Smart, you should be proud. That's wonderful. That's awesome. But if you're on the same level of expectation with great programs, elite programs like Ohio State or Alabama, no, that's not good enough. What are we doing losing the 14-point lead to Alabama in the SEC championship game? How do we lose the 14-point lead to Alabama and have some backup come in and win the game for them? And then you lose to Texas in the Sugar Bowl because you don't show up because your feelings are hurt and you're not mentally ready to go because you're still thinking about that loss to Alabama almost a month ago. So instead of playing for a championship, you finish the season 11-3 and three and not rank number one or two or three or four or five. You ranked and you rank number eight number eight look the old Georgia the old Georgia squad that season would be fantastic that season would be Bobby Roode glorious but this is a new age now this is the this is the expectations of this is the fan base remembering hey we had Alabama down in the national championship game we were going to win our first national championship since Vince Dooley and that sellout Herschel Walker that Uncle Tom Coon, Herschel Walker, led us to a championship. And you let that slip away because of a busted play in overtime when we had it right there on a the third down and long. And now you come back and we had a 14-point lead against Alabama with all the talent that we had, the recruiting class that we had, and you're going to allow Alabama and the backup quarterback to beat us? Unacceptable, inexcusable. That's the new Georgia. After that championship game against Alabama where they lost, in overtime. all of a sudden now, expectations change. Kirby Smart, being in Alabama, you know this, all of a sudden now, if you're going to be on the same level of the elites of the elites in college football, this is the type of scrutiny that you're going to be going, going with. So, yeah, rational people would take a look at what happened in 2018 and say, man, that's a great season. That was an awesome season. You should be proud of yourselves. The irrational a.k.a. a lot of SEC football fans, especially if a team is going to be as good or in as talented as Georgia, is going to take a look at that and say, yeah, but. Yeah, you did this. Yeah, you did that. But big fucking deal. We're supposed to be dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas? We're supposed to be dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie because we beat Tennessee and Vanderbilt and South Carolina? Really? We're we're, we're at that point now? No, we're, little, we're no longer at that point now. We're at the same plane as Alabama. So you know what? 11-3 and ranked number eight with all the talent that we had after the season that we had. Go fuck yourself if you think that's going to be a great season. Welcome to the new age of Georgia football with Kirby Smart. So that was 2018. 2019, the Bulldogs started ranked number five in the preseason when their first five games, as I mentioned before, beat Notre Dame 23-17, who was ranked number seven. Then they lost to South Carolina in double overtime, 20-17, to 17, won the rest of their games, lost to LSU 37-10 in the SEC Championship game, beat Baylor in the Sugar Bowl, finished the season ranked number four. Again, let's kind of forget the fact that we beat Notre Dame at home 23-17. How the fuck did we lose to South Carolina? What has South Carolina done? And let's kind of forget the fact that we made it to the SEC Championship game for the second, third time in a row what the hell are we doing getting blown out by lsu did you see that game they made us look foolish joe burrow made us look like chumps what in the hell is going on here oh and then we beat baylor in the, in the sugar bowl Woo, big whoop can't believe that we had an opportunity again to go to the college football playoffs that we missed the opportunity how many times is this gonna happen you see you see the bullshit that's happening right now you understand what i'm saying You understand where the whole Georgia talk, how this is just kind of weaving into this season, 2021, this Georgia football team, they beat number three, Clemson on a neutral site. Now, all of a sudden, they have an opportunity to make it to the SEC championship game again. And if you make it to the SEC championship game against Alabama and you are undefeated, Chances are, and I, I don't know what's going to be happening in Norman. I don't know what's going to be happening in Columbus. I don't know what's going to be happening. Well, you know, it's de facto, that, that would really a de facto uh, playoff game with Clemson because if Clemson wins all their games, even if they do win the ACC championship in a subpar conference compared to the SEC, can you really make the argument that Clemson deserves an opportunity to go to the uh, Final Four? Speaking about the uh, playoffs when they lost to uh, Georgia, now there's going to be some other factors, and those who are going to be wanting Clemson to go into the championship game are going to be making their points, and they're going to be making their good points, and they're going to be saying the reason why that Clemson should be over Georgia. They're the champions of their conference. They won the championship game of their conference. It just so happens that Georgia plays in the same conference of Alabama. Oh, well, sucks to be you. Too bad. Too sad. But how are you going to say that a championship team from a major conference does not get into the playoff because they lost week one on a neutral field in a one-score game to a team as good as Georgia. But then again, it could be a situation where, okay, we have the winner of the SEC championship game, the runner-up of the SEC championship game, Clemson, and then who else? Because we don't know what's going to be happening in Norman. We don't know what's going to be happening at the uh, Pac-12 or Big 12 or ACC or whatever. So, All of these things, again, this is way, way, way down the line, but I'm just trying to weave in right now. The expectations, the reason why I'm going back and giving you some insight on what happened to Georgia in 2018 and in 2019 and all of this type of stuff is because the narrative, the argument, the discussion that I'm having concerning Kirby Smart, I mean, you think that this guy would be revered in a certain section of the country. That loves Georgia football. You think that he would be revered in Atlanta and Decatur and Athens and Macon and and those areas. Do you think that, man, you know, Kirby Smart, what he's done for the uh, Georgia Bulldogs in 2020, they were ranked number five in the country until they were soundly beaten by Alabama, 41-24 on the road after winning 27-6 against number seven ranked Auburn and then beating tennessee who was ranked 14th at the time 44 21 the previous two weeks that's when oh then they lost to florida then jt daniels became the starting quarterback finished the season undefeated georgia finished seventh in the national ranking which then propelled all of this hoorah and high expectation because finally we have ourselves a real quarterback on campus no disrespect to jake from state from but damn when you had justin fields on that roster and you decide, and you decide to go with him over you decide to go with Jake fromm over Justin Fields and then Justin Fields transfers to Ohio State and you see what he does he did for uh, the Buckeyes little sore little uh, upset stings a little a little bit bitter again we're talking about the Georgian fans the Georgian football fans who are sitting there talking about we need to be on the same plane at the University of Alabama. Now, look, I don't listen to sports talk radio down in Athens, Georgia. I don't listen to sports talk radio down in that portion of the country. Maybe I'm overblowing this. Maybe I'm sitting there and the people are sitting there talking about, wait a minute, man, you're just talking about the extreme knuckleheads who think that uh, Georgia should be winning every game and beating Alabama by 40 and winning championships. Those are small. Those are few and far between the majority of folks down down there in Georgia who are University of Georgia fans, alumni and such. We think that not only Kirby Smart is doing a great job, we think he's doing a fantastic job. Yeah, he hasn't won a championship yet, but don't worry about it, man. He'll get to it. What's all this hubbub about you talking about? So, maybe maybe I'm speaking out of place a little bit. But I do know SEC fans, and I do know the expectation, and I do listen to people talk. And I do listen to what people have to say who are fans, not just of Georgia, but are fans of the Southeastern Conference. I know what you guys are saying. I know what the narrative is. I know what your thoughts and opinions are. So, yeah, am I I wrong to say that, look, I'm not saying that if Georgia doesn't win the national championship and go undefeated, that Kirby Smart needs to be fired or his job is in jeopardy. I'm, I'm not saying something nutty or stupid like that. I don't don't even think the nuttiest, jackassiest Georgia, University of Georgia football fan can even go that far. But I'm just just saying, though, I mean, as far as opportunities, this is Georgia's time right now. This is Georgia's opportunity right now. And I'm sorry, and this is only week one. Speculation, speculation, speculation. Week one, when we saw for a half the way or really a half and a, two and a half uh, quarters, the way Ohio State struggled, especially at the quarterback position for a half. When we take a look at the performance by, or the uneven performance, I might say, by Oklahoma. When we take a look at some of the other top 10 teams who faltered. When we take a look at Iowa State being pedestrian, as they had to scrape and claw for a victory. When we take a look at some of the contenders, for the championship throne. Again, hey, look, man, 10-3, to 3, you ain't going to be sitting there talking about, you know, hip, hip, array, Alabama. You better watch out and you better not shout and you better not cry because I'm telling you why. JT Daniels and that Georgia offensive line are, are coming to town and we're going to whoop up on your ass. I know that's not going to be the narrative. But don't you think that right now, Georgia has the best chance? If you're a Georgia fan, if you're a fan in the SEC and you know this Georgia team, You know what's been happening in the five years that Kirby Smart's been the uh, coach? Don't you think now is the time? Now's the time for these guys to get this stuff down? I do. I really do. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The only thing, man, is that doggone offensive line for Georgia and that offense. Can Kirby Smart get anybody in the quarterback position that can play? Like an NFL prospect. Now, look, JT Daniels is a young guy. He might mature into being a number one, not a first round draft pick or something like that. But man, he's got to do better. And, 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 and I understand Clemson, they're not going to be, until they face Alabama, if they get the opportunity to face Alabama in the SEC championship game, they're not going to be facing an offensive line or a defensive line, a defensive front, or a defense in general like the Clemson Tigers, so I get that, they're they're not going to be this impotent, they're not going to be this inept, they're not going to be this pedestrian, they're not going to be this um, incompetent, shall I say, on offense on a consistent basis because first game against Clemson, neutral field, hey, you know, you're not going to be putting up 45 points against that defense, but man, the offensive line was bad, the quarterback play was pedestrian, mediocre, JT Daniels, 22 of 30, 135 yards, 22 of 30, he threw 30 passes for only 135 yards, and out of those 30 passes that he threw, how many of them were were dump-offs, dump like 25 of them? 22 of 30 for 135 yards and one interception, Ew. that sounds like something that can beat Alabama, you know the, the running game, pedestrian The longest run by a running back was 22 yards The team rushed 31 times for 131 yards that's, that, that, that's barely 4 yards per carry Can a team win a We're speaking about this year Maybe they can, I don't know But this is the reason why I'm asking you Can a team win a championship With a game manager At quarterback Really, when you think about the way college football And football in general In this country is played right now can you win a championship with a game manager as your quarterback? Because you take a look at quarterbacks who've won the championships over the last 10 years, who've won the nat- national championship in college football. L- listen to these names. Matt Jones, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, Jalen Hurts Tua vailoa Deshaun Watson, Joe Coker, Jameis Winston, AJ McCarron now, let's just throw out Coker because he never amounts to anything in the NFL, but You're talking about Heisman Trophy winners You're talking about high first-round draft picks Three of the names that I just mentioned were number one picks overall in their draft speaking of a burrow Lawrence and Winston You take a look at the scores. I mean you, you need offense to win football games, man. I mean this is the new age Nick Saban learned it early. Like, man, I, I can't continue to win football games seventeen to fourteen and seven and twenty one seventeen anymore. I got to open up this offense. Three yards in a cloud of dust and having a uh, having a quarterback who are just, who's just not going to mess things up. I can't I can't do that anymore. Can't can't do that anymore. So if you take a look since two thousand and twelve, the winner of the national championship game has scored forty or more points six times and over thirty points two times. In fact, if you take a look in that span, the least amount of points scored to win a championship game was 26, and that was Alabama in 2017 against who? The Georgia Bulldogs. So, if you're Georgia, and you've got a lot of time and a lot of opportunities and a lot of bad teams to do it, let's see what we can do with JT Daniels to see what he can do, man, to, to, get, that, to get that offense percolating to the point where, hey, look, man, you know, Kirby Smart, I don't think he's ever going to be a a, a, a coach who's going to um, be that guy that's going to uh, you know have an offensive coordinator. He's never going to he's never going he's never going to take a, a the approach that he needs to score forty five points to uh, win. A, he's never going to have a Lance, a, a Lance Kiffin on his team or Lane Kiffin on his team as his offensive coordinator and just say go go go. But man, he, you know, as far as you know, developing that quarterback, he's got to do better. And I think they will do better. Will it be enough to uh, beat Alabama, compete with Alabama? When the time comes, if that time comes, we will see. It's only week one. We will see. But beating Clemson puts them on the path, puts them on that journey, puts them on that road, puts them in that lane to uh, finally reach again the opportunity that Chanta to win a national championship. Wendell's World and Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Real quick, let's go ahead and talk about the loser of this heavyweight belt for week one, the Clemson Tigers. Where do we go from here, man? What are we talking about? Where are we going? What's your thoughts, your opinions, your feelings? What are your inner emotions when speaking, when thinking about that game between Georgia and Clemson from a Clemson side of things? My first thought was, thank Jesus, if you're a Clemson fan. Thank Jesus, Behold Jehovah, whoever you pray to, That they play in the ACC. You take a look at that remaining schedule for Clemson. South Carolina State. Georgia Tech. At NC State. Boston College. At Syracuse. At Pittsburgh. Florida State. At Louisville. (laughs) UConn. Wake Forest. And at South Carolina. I know there's no room for error. You can't lose two games. You can't lose another game. Which would mean two games that you lost this season. And still expect to uh, compete for a championship. Or a spot in the semifinals but um you take a look at that schedule what many people are saying at nc state might be the best chance for clemson to be upset but you take a look at the rest of that schedule maybe florida state not if they're playing at clemson so i don't see it not at louisville maybe i don't see it so where are we going from here with with clemson their lack of offensive weapons and the lack of improvement on the offensive line was alarming Man, this is one of the elites in college football who were getting their ass kicked up front. Wow. Wow. Hey, look, man, you can talk about Alabama's recruiting class all you want to, and they get the studs, and they get the great players as far as the skill positions, especially when you're talking about wide receivers now. Take a look and check at the offensive line and see how many four- and five-star recruits those guys have. And see why those guys, and see how many offensive linemen are playing in the NFL right now over the past five years. That offensive line who played at uh, Alabama. Check out how many first and second round draft picks over the last couple of years who are playing in the NFL came from Alabama and that offensive line. I cannot believe the offensive line for Clemson was so inept, was so overwhelmed, was so dominated and destroyed by. Georgia, hey, look, man. Georgia's got a very strong defensive front, no doubt about it. But hey, man, I look at that. I look at that defensive line. I look at that defensive front for Georgia. That, that you know, there's, there's not, there's not five or six first round top twenty NFL picks going, uh, you know, lined up across them for them to get mauled and for them to get humiliated and for them to get beat up like that. Speaking about the Clemson offensive line. And the lack of offensive weapons, damn. I mean, for me, I think Clemson missed T. Higgins and Travis Etienne more than they did Trevor Lawrence. Clemson gained 180 total yards for the entire game. 180 total yards. The team rushed for two yards on 23 flipping carries. Again, DJ Uwe <clears throat> <clears throat> Uyungale, oh, damn it! went 19-37 for 178 yards one touchdown and was sacked seven times. And as I mentioned before the only way Clemson was trying to move the ball was through pass interference penalties. I mean how many times after every incomplete pass that Dabo in the fourth quarter was pleading and yelling and screaming at the ref to f- throw a flag. That was the only way they were going to be able to move the ball. So where does Clemson go from here? I heard you know, I, I I saw I read one deal where it was like, well, you know, the reign of dominance for Clemson is over. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Now maybe you can make the argument in terms of the elite of college football when we speak about you know the same the same culprits, Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma and such. Maybe the uh, maybe those four. Maybe you could then slide in. Georgia, and if one of those needs to go, one of those teams that I just mentioned needs to go, maybe it could be Clemson. Maybe, possibly, you can make that argument, but after one week? No, I'm not, I'm not going there, man. I'm not going there. Clemson plays at the doggone ACC. They'll be fine. They'll be fine. I'm not sitting up here. Now, what's the definition of fine in your eyes? In my eyes, they'll be fine in terms of, look, they'll still be competing for championships because of the conference that they play in because of the uh, talent that they have they'll be fine in that regard have they slipped this season based on week one are they now formable foes for Alabama for this season after taking a look at week one if you just take a look at week one no no but if you take a look at week one there's nobody out there that can challenge Alabama after week one after week one after week one let's, let's see what happens after week nine to ten before we then rehash the um, argument or the discussion, is Alabama the bees knees and nobody c- can beat them? But uh, poor performance for Clemson. Great thing is, look, Dabo can coach. The talent is there; they'll get better. And the schedule is uh, laid out for them to get much better. So I'm not I'm not putting any I'm not I'm not putting dirt on the graves of Clemson's dynasty or Clemson's uh, position of being elite in college football. Not yet. Tough week for him without a question but uh i think in terms of uh you know a strong solid awesome top five program clemson is far from being done so just for that recap man when you're speaking about that game the game of the week the heavyweight battle number three versus number five georgia versus clemson georgia the time is now for you to do some things georgia the time is now for you to have the best season that you've had in decades jt daniels That offensive line, Kirby Smart, are you guys going to be able to get it done? Because if you don't, again, I'm not sitting here talking about Kirby Smart needs to be fired or all that kind of shit. You want to be on Alabama's level? You want to be on Ohio State's level? Ask Ryan Day. Ask Nick Saban. Those years that I just mentioned in Alabama, would that fly as being successful, highly successful? No. Ask Ryan Day. Those years, 2018 and 2019, that I ran off in terms of the Georgia Bulldogs. Ryan Day, would that have been highly successful? Would you have been satisfied and happy with the fan base? Be <laughs> After seasons like that, Ryan Day would look at me and say, eh, probably not. If Georgia wants to get into the conversation of being one of the elites of the elites who's going to be competing for championships year in and year out. Guess what? Time for you to win that championship. And I'll say it now. That defense that you have and everything that's put in place, the schedule and everything else, even your quarterback... If you, do not, if you do not at least make it to the championship game as far as the um, um, national championship game, consider this season to be an utter disaster and failure.
1: Yeah, you get what you need, y'all yo. You got to give a lot just to get what you need sometimes
0: Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us, talking about what's happening in week one of college football, the 2021 season has begun, nice to see the super spreaders events happening all over the country, known as college football games, looks like we'll be taking vaccines, and it looks like we'll be wearing masks, and it looks like we'll be dealing with this coronavirus until the year 2047, wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Hey, guys, got news for you. Just because you're college stage and you drink a lot of beer and you go into the stadiums with your shirt off and you're rooting for your team doesn't mean that uh, the virus and everything, the pandemic, is over. It doesn't mean that. So, Lord have mercy. I wonder what the repercussions are going to be. For uh, this situation, but 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 that'll be a discussion for another day. Right now, I'm talking about giving you my thoughts and opinions about the first week of the season of the college football season. I'm going to start by saying this. I want to say it with conviction. I'm going to say it with meaning. This is not a quote-unquote hot take. This is not something to raise eyebrows or this is not something to generate clicks. This is something that I uh, that I feel, and this is not just based off of one week either. This is based off over a year. Of uh, Year of uh, what they've been doing What they've been putting down What they've been displaying What they've been putting on their resume What they've been putting on film The most dominant team In sports in North America Currently at the Alabama Crimson Tide In college football It's not the UConn women in basketball It's not the I don't know the Brooklyn Nets Or the Milwaukee Bucks Or the Golden State Warriors Or the Los Angeles Lakers in football Or basketball It's not the it's not the Kansas City defending champions or the Tampa Tom Buccaneers or anything like that in football. It's not the Los Angeles Dodgers or the New York Yankees or there's no really there's there's not even really a dynasty in sports right now. When you think about the Big Four, the Tampa Bay Lightning in hockey or anything like that, there's really not a team team sport in North America that you can really think of football, baseball, basketball, hockey, whatever, where there it, it's a dominant. As the Alabama Crimson Tide in college football. Now I'm quite sure someone's going to uh, mention that uh, you know Division three track and field team out there in Wisconsin is just whooping ass, or uh, the wrestling squad and some Division two school or some JC has just been dominating for the last five or ten years. I'm just going to go ahead and just make the make the make make the statement the most dominant team in sports in North America currently is the Alabama Crimson Tide in college football. If you got anything else, you got any other examples you want to uh, mention? Then come on in, come on in. But I'm sticking with, I'm sticking with this take right here. There's no other team this side of the globe which has been more dominant than Alabama, starting this season compared to the other championship contenders, and in playing in front of the Playing in front of their first full capacity crowd since New Year's Day of 2020. Alabama, I don't know, fuck it. Outclassed, outgained, outmaneuvered, outtalented, outcoached, out everything. Number 14th ranked Miami, 44. 213 in a game that wasn't even that close it was alabama's 15th straight win so you take a look at that and when i say 15 straight win, i'm talking about the 2020 citrus bowl where they beat michigan then they went 13-0 last season winning a championship and then the first game of the 2021 season where they played miami when you take a look at that spam you take a look at the teams that they played and their 15 game winning streak they've beaten eight ranked teams They've beaten those eight ranked teams by a combined score of 349 to 174. That's an average of 43 to 21. Ranked teams, top 10 teams, top 5 teams, championship teams, semifinals teams, national championship games. They've scored 40 or more points 6 times and over 50 points 3 times during that 15 game stretch. Dominance, Holmes. Dominance. And against Miami, I was one of those, mentioned it before. What were the reloaders going to do? What were the guys that were going to be replacing Heisman Trophy winners and first round draft picks and best of this and the best of that in the last five or 10 years of college football? What were the new crop of Alabama Crimson Tide football players going to do? Well, um, they just picked up where they left off, where the old guys left off. Alabama outgame Miami 490 to 266. Alabama was four for seven in the first half and 10 for 16 overall on third downs in the game, while Miami was just six for 14, three of the six failed convergence for Alabama. They ended with field goals. So we're not even talking about an opportunity for Alabama to give anybody some decent field position. Speaking about Miami in this game, Alabama had three touchdown passes that covered 94 yards, 37 yards, 25 yards, while Miami's longest play from scrimmage, 29 yards. And based on the first week of the season, hey man, make that money, make that bread. Nick Saban was talking about quarterback Bryce Young is going to be making millions by the time he finishes with his college football career. He's going he's, gonna, he's got a good start right now. He seems to be the real deal, man. 27 of 38, 344 yards, four touchdowns. By the time Bryce Young completed his 12th pass of the game and went to his seventh different receiver, The grasp of knowledge of the new offense, which Bill O'Brien, the new offensive coordinator for uh, for, um, Alabama, is putting down. Bryce Young seems to be learning that, sponging in that stuff very well. On third downs, Bryce was 8 for 10, 157 yards. And uh, Alabama just continues to just rip and roar, man. The wide receivers are strong. The running backs are fluid. It's just a situation. The, The offensive line is strong, and These guys are just going to continue to improve and improve and improve. And how about this? On defense, this could be the best Alabama defense in years and the fact that they have to replace seven starters from last season. The defense against Miami registered four sacks, seven tackles for losses. Alabama also held Miami to 69 yards rushing. Miami managed just 30 yards in the first quarter struggled mightily to even get across midfield for the rest of the first half, finished with only, as I mentioned before, 266 total yards. Remember I was speaking on my last podcast about De'Eric King, the 24-year-old, think he's starting his sixth season of college football, didn't want to be outshone, didn't want to be outclassed, didn't want to be outworked, didn't want to be embarrassed by Bryce Young, who was making his first start, making his first real appearance in a college football game. Well, the Eric King, unfortunately, this isn't tennis. This isn't MMA. This isn't boxing. You're going up against not Bryce Young, but you're going up against a superior defense in Alabama, which was dominant. And King finished the game 23 of 30, 179 yards, one meaningless touchdown, and two interceptions. And again, the defense is supposed to be better than than any of the Nick Saban's defenses at Alabama for the past several years. And they're replacing seven starters. But those guys look look quick. Those guys look aggressive. Those guys were talented. The beat goes on and the beat goes on when you're speaking about Alabama, man. So let's go ahead and take a look at the remaining schedule for the Crimson Tide. Next week they play Mercer. Then they're at Florida, which should be interesting. Hopefully Florida can give them some type of game. But then after that, you got Southern Mississippi, Mississippi at Texas A&M, maybe, possibly, then at Mississippi State, Tennessee, <laughs> LSU, that used to be an eye-raiser, that used to be something where you would take notice, but not not anymore. New Mexico, at least not currently. New Mexico State, then Arkansas, then the uh, Iron Bowl at Auburn. You tell me where Alabama's going to slip up. now? Now again, now again, now again, now again. I understand this is only one game. I understand that, and maybe if we were speaking about another college football program, maybe my maybe my excitement, maybe my enthusiasm, maybe my desire to get them such high platitudes and saying that my at um, Alabama is the most dominant team in North America and all this kind of stuff, maybe if it was someone else on college football's landscape other than Alabama, I would probably be a little bit uh reaching I would probably be being a little bit too uh hyperbole in my statements, but When you're speaking about this program, when you're speaking about the success, when you've been speaking about the continued and consistent success, and you see what they did against Miami after watching that game. If you didn't know that Miami was a top 15th ranked team in the country, Alabama made them look extremely, extremely mediocre. You would not have believed that Alabama with the fifteenth best team in the excuse me, that, that Miami with the fifteenth best team in the country. You wouldn't have thought that. Now now maybe the season will play itself out to where guess what? Miami wasn't the fifteenth best team in the country. They weren't even the thirtieth or the thirty fifth best team in the country. Maybe. Maybe this 44-13 to 13 victory, in which has propelled me to start talking about the greatest of this, and no one can beat Alabama at that, and these guys, the reloaders, are just too good, and they're too awesome, and this, that, and the other. Maybe it was something to where I was uh, a little bit out of pocket in terms of uh, giving such high praise when we found out later on in the season that Miami was overrated and just a mediocre football team. Perhaps, maybe, but I'm only going on one week when I say that who's going to be beating Alabama this year who I'm taking over I'm talking about the last 15 games who's beating Alabama what are you talking about 15 games Wendell? you just mentioned before that last season they had this that and the other and all these guys left this that and the other I'm talking about the program I'm talking about the way these guys rebuild true rebuilding like, like nobody else Who's going to replace them? Who's going to challenge these guys this year? Because we all talked about, or at least I talked about, some of the best teams in the country this season. Some of these ranked teams are going to be making, not changes, but they're going to be bringing a new guy to important positions to take over from guys who were highly successful in their careers. I was thinking about Kellen Mond at Texas A&M. I was thinking about Kyle Trask at Florida. I was thinking about, Um, Justin Fields at Ohio State. I was thinking about Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. I was thinking about these guys coming in to teams that have been consistent winners, consistent strong programs over the last couple of years. And I included Alabama in that mix. So after the first week of the season, and we get to see the newly formed Ohio State Buckeyes, We got to see the newly formed Clemson Tigers. We got the opportunity for some to see the newly formed Texas A&M, even though the opponent that they have really didn't lead much insight into what type of season they're going to have or if they're going to be good enough to challenge the Alabama Crimson Tide. Jimbo Fisher getting that, that new contract or getting that contract extension. Still, the team that they faced, I think it was Kent State, right? Really not a good barometer to decide, hey, this is going to be the team that could beat that could compete with uh, Alabama. Who knows, man? We're speaking about a team in Alabama. We're speaking about a quarterback just starting his uh, career, just starting his college career. Who knows, man? We're speaking about inconsistencies. We saw C.J. Stroud for Ohio State. He's going to get better, isn't he? But based on the game that we saw against uh, Minnesota, maybe not as strong as, a, as an opponent as Miami, who knows, I think Minnesota was a good team, and they played them on the road. Stroud was inconsistent. Inconsistency is not going to beat that defense, and also is not going to be able to keep up with that offense, speaking of Alabama. So if you're going to be having someone like a C.J. Stroud, who is going to be having these ups and downs during the season, who's going to be going from quarter to quarter, half to half, series to series, that that ain't working. That's not working against Alabama. If they're going to be playing at the level that they played at against Miami, and if Miami is a truly legit, good ranked team, if if that's going to be the scenario, and don't call me try don't call me uh, Tribe Call Quest. If that's going to be the scenario, then exactly who out there? We saw Spencer Rattler for Oklahoma, and we saw that defense. Is that going to be able to compete with uh, Alabama? If they can't stop Tulane on with any type of consistency. What they're gonna do with this? What they're gonna do with this offense from Alabama? So it's it's a it's a long season, man. It's a long season, and I've always mentioned it before. Just like the NFL, taking my time in terms of who's gonna be doing what, and who's gonna be doing this. How many times in September have we in college football anointed a lock or a guy with a huge lead or a strong candidate for the Heisman Trophy? by the end of September. And then by the end of October, he's nowhere near the discussion of a Heisman Trophy. How many times have we talked about a team who, hey, wait a minute now, we don't know about, well, I didn't see this coming along, this, that, and the other, this, that, and the other. Then all of a sudden, after the fifth game, when they play one of the ranked teams and get their asses blown out, we never hear from them again as being serious contenders. So it's it's fluid. But man, you take a look at the consistency of Alabama. You take a look about how great they are. Then, as I mentioned before, Mercer, Florida, Southern Mississippi, Mississippi, Texas A&M, Mississippi State, Tennessee, LSU, New Mexico, Arkansas, Auburn. We, we used to think that LSU could give them, a, give them a game, but it's not what it used to be. We, we see now Ed Orgeron, he's now 5-6 and six in the last 11 games. A little bit different when you don't have Joe Brady and Joe Burrow as your passing coordinator and quarterback. And you don't have John Jefferson and those talented receivers, Randy Moss's kid at the tight end position. And of course, LSU is always going to be strong on defense, even though UCLA pushed them around, um, out-physicaled them in the uh, running game and allowed uh, that that offense to click and put up over 30 points. And then you throw in all of the -the off-the-field nonsense that's been happening at uh, LSU with their football program. Now, we know that LSU, just like everything else in that uh, state is morally bankrupt when it comes to morals and fibers and doing the right thing and such just uh see will wade just say the fact that they had uh, less miles as their coach so i mean the fact that you have players on walking around on campus who's being accused of sexual assault and everything i mean for lsu and for folks of louisiana, louisiana at least the percentage of folks in Baton Rouge really don't care about that stuff as long as you're winning football and basketball games, but if you're not winning football games like Ed Orgeron is not doing, you can't lose to UCLA if you're LSU, that's, no, no, that's unacceptable, that's inexcusable, and that will not be tolerated, so we don't know, Ed Orgeron could be fighting for his existence, this could be a lose-in-your-fire type of uh, game when LSU goes to uh, Alabama. If these things keep up for Coach O, who just a couple of years ago won himself a national championship, but who, who out there—Georgia, Ohio State, UCLA, Texas A&M, Notre Dame, Cincinnati, Oklahoma, Iowa—does Clemson rebound and uh, get back to where they can challenge? I don't know. That's going to be a that's going to be an interesting storyline throughout the season. But as of right now, I'll say it: the most dominant team. In North America, as far as team sports are concerned, without question, building their resume, the Alabama Crimson Tide.
1: Well, I'm the jibber, jabber you like shabber, breaks making bank operating like trapper, John and me, yeah, that's what folks tell me, I plan on going far and be a star like Arkansas, we we'll so there. So, yes, I mix the buckets, scores and ruckets like Menudo or Judo. I get it, I do them when I gamble. And when I swings my thing, I take a swing like Mickey Mantle. But um, I got more flavors in a pack. An hour later, it's been your boy, Mr. Giver, But I love vanilla with the I got it going on because of the songs that I write. I got it going on because my crew is not hype. But I sit some, I stand some, I brand some like Sparrow. I shop at Dagasino for a bag of Stella Doro. Red sticks, oh, yes, it's the books with three of my cousins, Crazy Lazy A, Blitz and G. Because we're just coming. Some-
0: Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. I hope that you're enjoying your Labor Day weekend. I hope that you're going to be enjoying your Labor Day. I hope that you enjoyed your Labor Day, depending upon when you listen to this podcast. I'm enjoying myself quite well, watching a whole lot of college football. Again, I'm not going to be getting into the NFL just quite yet on my next podcast podcast. With the NFL starting on Thursday, the Tampa Tom Buccaneers versus the Dallas Cowboys. Of course, I'm going to be speaking about the NFL. And once week one starts in the NFL, you know I'm going to go high hog on that one, baby. You know I'm going to be speaking about what's happening in the NFL. As I mentioned before in my uh, later segments in terms of the NFL, take the first four weeks take the first six weeks just to kind of evaluate just kind of put down to see what's going down but uh, i don't waste my time in the nfl for preseason and for a lot of these teams in college football the first couple of games after maybe a couple of teams in week one play a ranked team or something like that you know now we're going to be speaking about the georgias and the alabamas and the oklahomas and the after they play oregon the ohio state this is where they're going to go through their preseason and they're going to start playing schools that are completely inferior in terms of talent is concerned. So you take a school like, oh, for instance, um, Alabama, who you know, truckloaded Miami. Well, now they're gonna you know go for a few weeks where they're gonna be playing Mercer and they're gonna be playing another team where basically they're just gonna show up and um, you know go ahead and on uh, talent alone be much better than them. But Saban, Coach Saban for Alabama is gonna be taking a look at particulars, taking a look at patterns, taking a look at routines, taking a look at habits for his team. So when they move on in the season and they start playing SEC foes and other schools of greater importance and greater talent, that uh the 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 routine and the habits that were manifested by playing these inferior teams will be ingrained and in second nature to the Alabama Crimson Tide and to the Georgia Bulldogs and to the Clemson Tigers and to the Ohio State Buckeyes and to the Penn State Knitley Lions and to the Oklahoma Sooners, so on and so forth. So by the time these games really start to mean something in terms of talent versus talent, those upper tier teams will uh, be able to uh, go ahead and do their thing. So the next couple of weeks in college football, especially during week three, not too many uh, games of importance, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how the season goes. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, I was taking a look at some of the trends. I was taking a look at some of the results that happened in week one. And I said to myself, boy, the ACC and the Pac 12, what in the flip happened there? Now, for the Pac 12, yes, you got to give it up for UCLA, a wonderful victory at home over LSU. Yes the USC Trojans they moved ahead or they uh, they beat the they beat the Fresno State Bulldogs i think it was 27 to 10 so that that's fine i'm thinking mainly about Oregon who had to struggle to win their game and in particular i'm talking i'm talking about two teams that lost mainly the Stanford Cardinal and the Washington Huskies i don't know which loss was worse well, yes, I do know what which loss was worth. The Washington Huskies, who were ranked in the top 25, losing to a 1AA school at home, Montana, and only scoring seven points in the process. Jeez, are you flipping kidding me? At home, to start of the season, after the season that we had last year, now fans are back into the stadium, and against Montana, a team that you should have boatloaded, you lose, and you only score seven points? Unacceptable, inexcusable. Head coach Jimmy Lake, man. I don't know what you're doing as far as the offensive coordinator is concerned, but uh that was embarrassing. That had to be the most embarrassing result of them all. Washington losing to Montana. But there was a couple of other, you know, powerful one double A schools who uh who uh were victorious this first week in for real in the college football season. But that one was the most that one was the most alarming, especially when you're speaking about, you know, the, the Pac-12 is one conference that's fighting for respect. The, tw- the Pac-12, if you take a look at all the conferences, the major conferences, which are the ACC, the Big 12, the Big 10, the SEC, uh, I already mentioned the ACC, the ACC, Big 10, Big 12, ACC, the major five conferences, Big 12, ACC, Big 10, Pac-12, and whatever. But basically, the um, Pac-12 is at the bottom of the total poll when it comes to hey man I mean what's up in terms of the respect level is concerned especially when you're speaking about the playoff situation the only team that's made it to the uh, final four is Washington and another team that that uh, my mind forgets right now so for the S for the uh, Pac-12 you got to go ahead and you got to do something better than this and for Stanford to uh, lose 24 to seven to Kansas State. This this might be the beginning of the end, for David Shaw. I'm not not placing the dirt over the grave just yet. I'm not putting the final nail in the coffin, but I mean this is the situation where for a while there, you know, Stanford and David Shaw, they had a team that was top eight, top ten, and for the last couple of years they've been mediocre at best. And you have to take a look at that program. You have to take a look at the way they've been playing. Even when they were highly successful, it's bland. It's blo- boring. Yes, I know the running game's supposed to be intricate, and I know it's supposed to be exciting. If you're a you know if you're a you know insider with football and all these type of things, but Stanford, outside of Andrew Luck, has never had a quarterback that set the world on fire. They've never had a dynamic running back of any real importance. I know that they had a couple, but in terms of like having a running back of importance that's going to be a number one draft pick or someone like that, that's uh, that hasn't been the situation at Stanford. They've never had a dynamic receiver. So now we're just relying on big offensive linemen and tight ends to get the job done in stout defense. That, that doesn't work anymore. And at a school like Stanford who, how about this, they actually care about academics where you can't go ahead and you can't compete with the Oklahomas and the Texas and the Alabamas and the Ohio states of the world because your entrance and your admissions are a lot uh, more uh, strident. Stanford is at a situation where, hey, look, man, David Shaw, who has been the apple of the NFL's eye, coaching profession's eyes for a little while now, I don't know how much that is tarnished with what has been happening the last couple of years at Stanford, but uh, this might be the beginning of the end for the career of David uh, Shaw at Stanford. He's been there a long time, and I think that program has really stagnated over the last uh, couple of years. Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking about what's been happening week one, what happened week one in college football. I'm just doing this right now. You know, Notre Dame, I'm, I'm recording this. As Notre Dame is playing Florida State, do you know that did you know that Florida State has come back? Now they're in a situation where they could possibly get this in overtime. I think the score right now is thirty eight to thirty five. Are you kidding me? Notre Dame was up 38-20 to and I was up there talking about, hey, you know, Notre Dame's got this in the bag and it's got it under control, no big deal. Now you take a look at what's been happening. Florida State's making a comeback and now they have an opportunity to uh, kick the field goal, go into overtime and have a strong opportunity, strong chance to, well, win this game. Wow. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something if Florida State came back and won this football game? What would that mean for the program? moving forward with Mike Mike Norvell as the coach. That would be something. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Another team, another game of importance that I wanted to talk about just very quickly. Penn State versus Wisconsin. I don't know, man. I was sitting up there in the podcast before talking about, hey, you know, this is really an important game for Wisconsin, I think, more than Penn State, because the position, as far as rankings were concerned, with Wisconsin, they were ranked number 12 in the country. They go ahead on... At home, the home opener, they get this win against Penn State. Then you take a look at their schedule. They have another marquee game against Notre Dame. They don't have to play Ohio State this year. Their schedule sets up very nicely to where they could be in the picture if some things fall right for them. They could be in the picture for an opportunity to get one of the four playoff spots at the uh, end of the season if they played their car right, cards right and everything falls in their favor. Well, against Penn State, missed opportunities, Red zone miscues, missed field goals, easy field goals in a situation where in another contest where you took a look and you say, gee, man, you know, Penn State nor Wisconsin is up on the echelon, up on the upper, upper echelon in terms of uh, having a team that could win a championship. Their quarterbacks are pedestrian. They still don't have any type of uh, pep or any type of uh, pop from their skill players especially Wisconsin, at the wide receiver position. It's just the same old Paul Crisp type of uh, offense at Notre Dame. Excuse me, at um, Wisconsin. Big offensive lineman, good running game, pedestrian, game-changing, game-managing quarterback, and nothing to speak of from the wide receiver positions. The offensive, bland, it's just the same old damn thing. And the same thing with uh, Clifford, the quarterback for uh, Penn State. Nothing there. Nothing there. He's a good, solid quarterback. He's a good, solid college football quarterback. And with the dynamic offenses that are being displayed, at least in um, in uh, Alabama, I, I don't I don't know because these guys just seem so limited as far as the quarterbacks are concerned. And I think this is really a year, if you think about it, in college football where. The quarterbacks we're not going to be looking at a very strong quarterback class. Sam Howell was supposed to be the guy that could be that guy. He struggled mightily against Virginia Tech. Uh, Spencer Rattler had a mediocre game. He threw a couple of interceptions against uh, Tulane, and, and is is he a guy that's a dynamic enough quarterback? I know uh, half halfway through last season that he had a really good you know second half of the season, but. You know, is he anything dynamic? Is he anything where he looks like a a top-tier NFL prospect? I mean, we're we're taking a look, and I mentioned before, all the quarterbacks that, uh, or all the teams that are transitioning to new quarterbacks. And sure, we take a look at someone like a C.J. Stroud at Ohio State. In the first game against Minnesota on the road, he was a little bit shaky in the first half, 8 of 14, 57 yards one interception, then turned it around. He has the team around him to where he can gradually get better. But I don't see a dynamic quarterback who can basically put any type of pressure on Alabama in terms of the defense that Alabama has this year, one of the best potentially that Nick Saban is going to have in a long, long while. And if Bryce Young and that offense is going to continue to play at that high level, You tell me who's going to be out there. You tell me the quarterback that's going to give Alabama some problems. You tell me the offense that's going to give, that's going to be able to keep up with Alabama on the offensive side of the ball point for point. I don't see it. I really don't see it. So it's a situation where, again, we're moving into week two. It was a bad week for the Pac-12. It was a bad week for the ACC as far as uh, as far as North Carolina losing. They're the highest seed. They're losing. Then Clemson losing. So it was a bad week for the Pac-12. It was a bad week for the ACC. It was a grand week for Alabama. It was a good week for Georgia, even though there was uh, a situation where, moving forward, what are you going to do about that offense? I mentioned – in the uh, first segment of the podcast about how important it is for Georgia to have some type of offense, to have any type of offense, to have some type of dynamicism from the wide receivers and the quarterback who can give them the ball. JT Daniels was supposed to be that guy, but he sure didn't look it against uh, Clemson. Now, again, outside of playing in the SEC championship game against Alabama, you show me a defense that's going to be as strong and as stout as Clemson, that Georgia's going to have to play during their regular season. Not going to be there, but still. Are they still going to be able to max out in terms of getting to the SEC championship and still be able to compete from the offensive standpoint with Alabama? Defensively, they could. Offensively, as of right now, after week one, I don't see it. So, moving forward, man, as I end this discussion concerning week one, my thoughts and opinions about college football, a long season. Things can change. People can change. Teams can change. Quarterbacks can get better. Quarterbacks can get worse. Teams can get better. Offensive lines can improve. All of those things are going to have to happen for a lot of these teams to uh, get better in, in abundance if they're ever going to be able to compete with right now the most dominant team in North America, the Alabama Crimson Tide. <laughs> Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Final segment of the podcast, happy Labor Day. Everybody getting back to the groove after this, football's going to be starting in terms of the NFL is going to be concerned. We have all of September, we have all of October, and then I guess November, when we have Thanksgiving, so we got that little stretch where we're going to be working, we're going to be doing our thing, we're going to be getting into a groove, we're going to be getting into a routine, so... Yeah, man, there we go. So, um, you know, consider this your present to get back to the everyday of the 9 to 5, the 8 to 6, the 7 to 3, whatever days, whatever hours that you work. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. I want to end the podcast with this. I'm going to go a little off the beaten path just a little bit, enough about football. I want to talk about tennis, and I want to talk about women's tennis, and I want to talk about Naomi Osaka, and I want to talk about Her losing again, and I want to talk about her needing to take a break, and I want to talk about all the things that are going on. Now, I'm going to be starting off this conversation by giving you this disclaimer I am not a psychiatrist. I am not a therapist. I am not Dr. Phil. I am not any of these folks. I'm, uh, I don't know Naomi Osaka. I'm not her boyfriend. I'm not her confidant. I'm not her buddy. I'm not her mate. I'm not her family member. I've never had an intimate conversation with Naomi Osaka. I've never hung around Naomi Osaka. I've never had one conversation with Naomi Osaka about anything let alone about what she's going through. So my thoughts and opinions about what's going on with Naomi Osaka and what she needs to do and all these thoughts and opinions that I have you take it from that angle. You take it with that grain of salt. Okay, so I gave you that. So I'm, I'm I'm not I'm not speaking from the in-depth conversations that I've had with Naomi Osaka and knowing her like I do and knowing her as well as I do. This is what is going on in her life and this is what she needs to do and this is what's gonna be the outcome and all this kind of stuff. I'm quite sure her boyfriend, I'm quite sure her parents, I'm quite sure her coach, I'm quite sure her closest friends don't even know what's gonna be happening with Naomi Osaka in terms of playing tennis. Anywhere down the road, three months, six months, one year—we don't know. She could be back, and she could be back in one year, being number one again, and just ripping, throw, ripping through the women's tennis uh, um, deal. Or she could still be out and, and have no idea when she's coming back. She could do a George St Pierre, you know, where he beat Johnny uh, Hendricks, and then was like, you know what? I got to take a little break. And we saw him once after that, and then that was the end of it. So who knows, man? This could be the last that we'll see of Naomi Osaka, but. Just to get to it, she lost in the third round of the U.S. Open in New York to Canadian teenager Layla Fernandez, 7-5, 6-7, 7-2 in the tie break, and then 6-4 in the deciding set. It marked her third straight loss in round three of a tournament since she was defeated in the Olympics in Tokyo. Of course, she had a lot of, I wouldn't say pressure, but you know, there was a lot on her being the fact that this was the Olympics in Tokyo, she does Come from Japanese heritage. She is very popular uh, amongst a good number of people in Japan. Has a lot of fans. So losing in the Olympics, you know, was a was a big deal for her because, as as I mentioned before, as much claim and ad- fame and adulation that she has over there. So the defending U.S. Open champion, which is Naomi, a four time uh, four time majors winner, which is Osaka, she struggled throughout the match against the teenage fernandez at arthur ash stadium her frustration was visible she smashed a racket on the court at one point and threw it she would later issued a warning for hitting a ball into the stands after losing the second set tiebreaker she left the court for a bathroom break with her head draped in a towel uh you know here's one thing though i don't i don't know if it's sort of a kind of a double double standard with this because i want to go back to the um Showing her frustration in terms of, of a weakness. She smashed a racket on the court and at one point threw it. She would later issued a warning for hitting the ball into the stands after losing the second set tiebreaker. She left the court for a bathroom break with her head draped in a towel. Sometimes now with different with Naomi Osaka because there's some, uh, you know, there's some issues before when it comes to, uh, you know, depression and her battling mental illness. So, you know, that, that, that is a deal concerning that. But I, I will say this. You know, the double standard here. No no one was talking about this. And, of course, you know, at the time when McEnroe and Ilya Dostasi and all these guys were doing it, of course, uh, you know, the issues of mental health weren't a relatable topic. wasn't something people were talking about or considered it a uh, an injury or something that needed to be dealt with. But, uh, you know, we, we see men all the time, especially in other sports, you know, showing emotion, acting out, these type of things. And we we never say, you know, if someone goes ballistic, we never said that Rashid Wallace was dealing with mental issues. Well, okay, maybe that's a bad example, but what I'm saying is is that you know it's such a huge deal when a woman does it instead of a man. you know, for instance, i, I I've said this before. Could you imagine you know Naomi Osaka was issued a warning? ...for hitting the ball into the stands. She smashed her racket on the court at one point and threw it. And also, you know, there's, you, you can't use any foul language. You can't shout out, motherfucker, "god damn it." You can't do some shit like that because if they do, if you do, they will issue you a verbal warning... ...and you could be disqualified. Nick Kyrgios has gone through that many, many times. But, but here's the deal. Man, could you imagine an NBA basketball player? Could you imagine him playing tennis? Could you imagine Kevin Garnett playing tennis when he was in his prime playing basketball... The man wouldn't last five minutes with the mouth that he had before he would be uh, disqualified from the match. Could you imagine, sorry to say this, y'all, could you imagine two brothers out there playing basketball who are basketball players? Could you imagine those two on the court playing tennis, all the uh, trash talking and and the verbal back and forth that would be going and the colorful language that they would be saying to each other? Now, it would make the game a little bit more enjoyable, a little bit more fun, I'm quite sure it would bring in the casual viewers who would have no interest in the tennis itself except for the trash talking that would go back and forth. Could you imagine a situation where Kevin Garnett is playing uh, tennis, Wimbledon final, Australian Open, French, or something like that? Could you imagine him playing tennis against, uh, I don't know, throw out your any other really good you know uh, black basketball player, professional black basketball player? I'm quite sure after the first game was over, that the tournament's uh, commissioner or Hubble Ballou or whoever would come over and say, hey, fellas, you know, the trash talking. I mean, if you're going to do the trash talking, do the trash talking. But do you mind kind of not throwing the N-word out every other word, Kevin? I mean, do you mind after each after, after the end of each insult, you won't have to throw in the N-word? I mean, we we, we kind of appreciate that. Because right now through the first game, you guys are using that word as an adjective, as a verb, as a noun. So, I mean, okay, the shit-talking and the motherfucking and the bullshit and goddammit and Jesus fucking Christ and all that kind of stuff. I mean, okay, we're bringing in a big rating and we're getting a big draw and we're getting in big numbers. So, we can kind of put our head in the sand and we can kind of say, okay, I guess maybe that's tolerable. But just for our sake, could you could you kind of refrain from using the n-word every other word that you say how about this how about after you win a game you can maybe just say it guys are saying it just a little bit too much so it would just be hilarious to see two black basketball players or black professional uh athletes in football or something like that out there playing tennis where you have this code of conduct and you have to use you have to be careful in the language that you're saying so look i saw the racket throw from naomi osaka i mean she wasn't yelling and cursing and shouting and and going on i mean she was frustrated that she uh, made a bad shot she threw her racket down that's in some ways that's how you collect yourself you know you let that frustration out you regroup you pick up your racket you get a new one and then you continue playing i, I don't i don't see i mean i understand the sport so i see where that's a problem. But just in terms of kind to uh, you know psychoanalyze and say, "Ooh, we'll see," you know, she's she's having a problem, she's having mental issues, or she's uh, you know dealing with things personal and all this kind of stuff. Because look at the way she threw her racket. To me, I I don't know. I'm not going to go there. There's other things with Naomi going on in her life, as she said. And I don't I don't know. I mean, she was losing, or she made a bad point. So you know that's 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 what I got to say about that. But but um, in the news conference following the loss. Osaka told reporters the sport was no longer bringing her joy and is unsure when the next when her next next match is going to be and she even considered taking a break from tennis for a while here exactly is what she said after her loss in the third round of the U.S. Open
2: I feel like for me recently um like when I win I don't feel happy I feel more like a relief um, and then when I lose, I feel very sad, and I don't, I don't think that's normal. And I didn't really want to cry, but basically, I feel like.
0: Um, Gentlemen, I'm done. Okay, thank you.
2: No, I kind of want to finish this though. Finish I'm sorry. Um, it's up to you. Yeah, so basically, I feel like... Okay, so... hmm, This is very hard to articulate. Well, basically, I feel like I'm kind of at this point where I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. And... I honestly don't know when I'm going to play my next tennis match. Sorry. But. Sorry. Thank you, everyone. Okay, yeah. But I I think I'm going to take a break
0: from playing for a while. So there you go. That's what she was talking about. That's what she was putting down from the audio. You heard her. I feel like for me recently, when I like when I win, I don't feel happy. I feel more like a relief. And then when I lose, I feel very sad. I don't think that's normal. Basically, I feel like I'm kind of at this point where I'm trying to figure out what I need to, what I want to do, and honestly, I don't know when I'm going to play. My next tennis match, and then when that hit her, in terms of, man, I'm not, I am not, I have no idea when I'm going to play my next tennis match. You could see her starting to get emotional. I mean, that's where the tears started to come in because that, that uh, reality hit her. And then she said, I think I'm going to take a break from playing for a while. She didn't want to do it, but for the betterment of her, this is what she needed to do, even though she uh, loves playing tennis. And then that's when the press conference ended i'm 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 almost i'm i'm almost at the point where i'm just kind of tired of it i i really am i want her to get help i want her to do what's best for her i really do and i want her to uh live a long happy healthy life far as as far as mentally is concerned i want her to be happy man i want her to be happy and then happiness is something that's not going to be happening all the time man live life for a little bit you go through the emotions man you go through happiness sadness Depression, elation, normalcy, you know, everybody has their ups. Everybody has their downs. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how beautiful your husband or your wife is. I don't care how wonderful your kids are, man. It's just life. I don't care how great your job is. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, you ain't going to be experiencing experiencing happy all the flipping time, man. Life doesn't happen that way. So when I say that I want Naomi Osaka to be happy, you know, of course I want her to be happy, but more than anything, I want her to be able to handle life and everything that comes with it, man, and it seems right now that uh, she's not, and, you know, it's like when she wins, it's fine, or when she loses, it's like the end of the world, and they bring up mental health and all these type of issues, it's like, look, man, I, I, you know, do what you need to do. To make yourself better. But I, I'm just here. I just want to watch the sport. I'm not looking for a human train wreck. I'm not looking for, you know, someone who's battling, you know, confidence, inner demons, insecurities, whatever you want to call it, whatever she's got to get. I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist. I'm ignorant in the field. So I, I I don't know. I don't know. But uh really, if she keeps this up and her tennis suffers all of a sudden now in some small, very small way. She is in danger. Speaking of Naomi Osaka here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with George truly, Wendell Wallace. Naomi Osaka, in a very, very, very minute, small ways, is in danger if she doesn't get any help. And she continues along the road that she's going. And her tennis suffers because of it. She becomes, she becomes a danger of becoming a caricature of herself and the male version of Nick Kyrgios. And I'm not saying that, you know, she's going to be, you know, acting the way Nick Kyrios says. But, I mean, you know, if, if, if Naomi Osaka, if we're going to start trying to be a pop psychologist and start talking about, you know, what's wrong with her mentally and this, that, that, and the other, I mean, how are we not doing this with Nick Kyrios? If we, if we want to take it that far. So, why? Because he's a male and she's a female. Because males are, it's more acceptable for males to show their frustration with Kyrios. I mean, we get up there and like we 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 understand some cheer and he's a bad boy and all this kind of stuff. And he's this, that and the other. But really, we like him and he's really a nice guy. And we point out some of the good things that he's done and some of the things that he's done off the tennis court to kind of balance out the nuttiness we see on the court. For those who think that he's completely off his rocker, for those who think that he's a terrible guy, for those who think that he's a horrible human being because of the way that he acts on a tennis court. We'll go ahead and we'll show or we'll tell or we'll write, or we'll blog, or we'll post, or we'll tweet. Some of the good things, all of the good things, a lot of the good things that he does off the tennis court. Nick Carios does do a lot of good things. But on the court, you know, it's predictable that sometimes he's going to have a mental breakdown. So why aren't we equating the same type of, hmm, ha, that's interesting. Let's take a look. Let's, Let's uh, you know, let, let's let's go ahead and, and give our analysis on what's going on. Why why don't we do that for Nick Karyos the same way that we do Naomi Osaka? Maybe with the advent now that Osaka. And other athletes, Jamon Biles was another great example during the Olympics. Kevin Love, Deshaun, excuse me, um, DeMar DeRozan and others in the NBA have have come out and talked about their struggles dealing with mental illness. Maybe, you know, if we're going to be having a program, maybe for those who want to uh, play the pop psychologist, the Dr. Phil's on the uh, podcast and on the radios, when we're talking about athletes who are, you know, might need a mental break or might need something in terms of a little bit deeper than laughing at them because of their actions or making excuses for them because of their tantrums or the way that they act on the baseball field the football field the soccer field the tennis court or whatever maybe we could then add Nick Karius to the discussion maybe we already have and I just haven't heard it enough but uh, you know it's, it's 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 getting to that point to where if Osaka continued to do what she did the name Nick Carrios is going to come up in certain situations. You know how, like, Zach Wilson and Patrick Mahomes' names are, are linked together sometimes when we talk about Zach Wilson has Patrick Mahomes-type qualities as a quarterback? Well, Naomi Osaka might be having Nick Carrios type qualities as, uh, as, as a human being if she continues to go down the path that she's going and doesn't take care of herself first. It could be getting a lot worse, a lot out of control. So I'm glad from just a human being standpoint that Osaka is going to go ahead and once again try to uh, see what's going on, hopefully get some help and uh, become a better person. I don't give a damn about her becoming a better tennis player or hoping this will bring her back to the tennis court and bring her back to the WTA and have her, uh, you know, get back to her number one seating and all this kind of nonsense. I, 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 in a situation like that, who cares, man? Number one, I just care about Naomi Osaka living a happy Emotionally, physically, mentally, happy life. She's got enough money. She's made enough money to where, if she never plays tennis again, don't worry. You're not going to see her working down at the local Denny's. Don't worry. You're not going to see her digging ditches. Don't worry. You're not going to see her scrubbing floors. She ain't going to be the buffing boss. So all of those things, as far as for those who might feel that, oh my goodness, financially, she'll be giving up a lucrative tennis, uh, tennis and all this kind of stuff. that She'll be, she'll be fine. She's a very pretty girl. She's a charming. Oh, she's not a girl anymore. She's 24. She's a very very pretty woman. She's a uh, fine young female, and all those type of things. Intelligent. So she'll be uh, she'll be fine in terms of that is concerned. Mentally, get, getting her mental health together. That's what it's all about. So when I take a look at this here on Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast, Wendell Wallace, yours truly, doing the podcasting. Looking from the outside, and concerning Naomi Osaka and, and what she's going through, I think she's conflicted again. Let me go ahead and disclaimer, never met Naomi Osaka, never had a conversation with Naomi Osaka, never had a conversation with someone who knows Naomi Osaka, I've never been around to ask these questions and have a conversation about this with Naomi Osaka, so take take that with a grain of salt as far as the reasons I think she's going through what she's going through. On the subject of mental health with Naomi Osaka, Wendell Wallace is 100% ignorant on the uh, on the topic. But I'm going to give you my thoughts and opinions anyway. I think she's conflicted. She loves the game of tennis. She loves playing the game of tennis. And I think she loves everything positive. That comes from being the number one ranked player in the world. Being a superstar as far as a tennis player is concerned. She she loves making the money. That comes her way from being the best, best, uh, best tennis player in the world. As far as a females are concerned when she's going right. I mean, she recently became the highest-earning female athlete in history when she, uh, with, uh, was in 2020, she made $60 million. She earned $60 million when everything is all said and done. Per celebrity net worth from June of 2019 to June of 2020, Osaka earned Forty million dollars becoming a beating the previous record holder which is Serena Williams by five million but in terms of that contest she was just getting started speaking of Osaka because the following year she had her second consecutive year of being the highest paid female athlete and according to Forbes she earned a lucrative 60 million dollars the majority of it which came from off-court endorsement deals which paid her more than 50 million dollars how do you do so she signed with Blockbuster Brands, Work Workday, Louis Vuitton, Airbnb, and to date she's had, she has more than 20 sponsors. So, so everything that comes along with being a great tennis player, Naomi Osaka had no problem. She had no problem putting herself out there in terms of being an endorser. She had no problem taking that money. Not at all. She had no problem being on social media. No problem whatsoever. And I thought, really, she was turning the corner. Remember when she first beat Serena to win the uh, U.S. Open and, you know, Serena had a meltdown of her her own when she was accusing the uh, umpire of uh, being sexist or racist or something like that. She was losing and, uh, you know, Serena lost it a little bit and, um, you know, fans started booing and it was just an ugly, ugly environment. Uh, for that women's U.S. Open final. I mean, we had the greatest of all time, you know, against the heir apparent possibly with Serena going against Naomi and the backdrop about how important Serena was in Osaka's life for her to become a tennis player and how much Naomi looked up to Serena and all these type of things. And it was almost at that point where the U.S. Open final that year between Serena and Naomi, it was almost like an acknowledgement of the, The end of domination for Serena Williams in the women's tennis game is very, very near. Because Naomi, just as, well, maybe comparable as far as strength, size, power, everything. For the longest of time, Serena was able to dominate the competition, not only with her brilliance, her intelligence as a tennis player, but also because of just the physical size and the power that she had over her opponents. Now, all of a sudden, you have Naomi Osaka coming into the game who can compare, who can match up physically with Serena. And once she got past the, oh, my gosh, I'm playing my hero, Serena Williams, I'm a little bit nervous, this, that, and the other, when she started getting that mentality of, I don't give a fuck who you are, I'm going to blow your ass off the court, game over. Serena's never going to win another major. I'm sorry. And I want her to become the woman who has the most greatest or most uh, major titles in women's history, I, I really do. But she ain't going to get it, because not only Naomi Osaka, but there's other females coming down the pike now who you know can beat Serena on a regular basis, and you know Serena's damn near close to forty. So I mean, it's not like something that's like wow, unbelievable. But uh, yeah, so that whole situation with Naomi versus Serena at the U.S. Open, which was you know an ugly incident, you know, it, it, you know we we saw mentally how naomi dealt with that uh, situation you know dealt with uh, everything that was swirling around that whole event well she went from that to i thought she really turned the corner because when she established herself as the number one ranked player in the world all of a sudden now it seemed like her seemed like her confidence soared seemed like her maturity was really coming into play it seemed like she was ready and able willing and able to be that person who was going to take the torch learning the lessons from the Williams sisters learning the lessons from Martina Navratilova, learning the lessons from um, uh, uh, Billie Jean King learning the lessons from Althea Gibson she wanted to be that next in line not just as a fantastic tennis player but also someone who uses their platform of importance and impact in society by playing tennis and being great in tennis and moving society along in a positive manner so All of a sudden, when Naomi became the number one ranked player in the world, all of a sudden, she started speaking about social issues. All of a sudden, she started speaking about injustices in America. All of a sudden, she started throwing her weight around as far as being the number one ranked player in the world where she said that in a semifinal event at a tennis tournament because of what was happening in Milwaukee that, you know what, I'm not going out there. When the NBA players decided that they were going to uh, not play that game and then baseball took heed and did the same thing and hockey took heed and did the same thing, Naomi was part of that group that said, uh, part of those athletes that said, you know what, I'm I'm going to be with them. I'm not going to go ahead and I'm not going to uh, play in this match because I'm going to be protesting against the continued genocide of black people by police. Love it. And I was like, this is fantastic. This is awesome. She's actually turned the corner. She's ready now to truly become the face of tennis and let's not forget i know here in this country that tennis is not a huge deal but tennis is a global sport so if you're speaking about being one of the greatest players in the sport currently whether it's male or female that has a large impact globally might be minimal in this country but globally and when you're speaking about females you're speaking about women Tennis is one of the rare exceptions to the rule to where, you know what, women can be just as popular or even more popular than the men. I know Federer, he's my hero in terms of that regard, but, you know, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, and such, Osaka is right up there with him. And with Roger turning 40, with Djokovic still going strong but age 35, Rafa battling injuries at 34, 33, somewhere around there. I mean, we could be looking at a time the thought was we could be looking at a time once those three, you know, finally head off into the sunset that the most visible tennis player, male or female, in a global sport of importance like tennis could be Naomi Osaka. And she, I thought, was really starting to put herself in the position to be the face of tennis for the good and for the bad. But obviously, um, maybe it was just a little bit too much for her. Again, she opened up about her mental health Released a Netflix miniseries about her life. Had a Barbie doll modeled after her. Won awards. Appeared in a number of high-profile magazine covers. Taking on big-name personalities on social media. I thought Naomi's Naomi's doing this. So her status soared because of her actions and words. And even in Japan. This is what uh, Japan Times editor Joel Tanzi told Eurosport, he said that when she took a stand against Black Lives Matter, it certainly had a strong impact here and that it started many conversations about race and discrimination. And he also added that I've heard from some officials in sports and tennis that her success had had a major impact on young girls in Japan who see a Naomi Osaka as a role model to emulate. Her presence is particularly powerful, uh, particularly powerful in a country like Japan where the gender gap Is still gapping. So I think all of those things. The, the positives and everything that come with Naomi when she made a stand against social uh, injustice and um, the police discrimination and those type of things and, they, and everyone was like yeah Naomi yeah Naomi yeah this is awesome and this is great and you're so wonderful and the role model and the kids and the folks in Japan were like yeah Naomi yeah Naomi yeah Naomi and you're my hero and you're my role model and this is wonderful this is great for Naomi all of that was awesome she can handle that at the beginning she can handle all that she can handle making that money. She can handle being a role model. She can handle everything, all the all the sweets, all of the good things that come with success. But then what I figure, what I'm contemplating, what I'm saying, what my opinion is when it comes to Osaka is the fact that she can handle all the good that comes from being a public figure and a role model and all those things. It's the bad things that come with all of the that she doesn't that she's not handling very well. She she doesn't like, she's not comfortable with, she's not mentally equipped one of the three of dealing with the everything that goes with being someone of such stature. She doesn't like to be criticized. She doesn't like it when folks are making fun of her. And I think now that one day she just took and she just thought about it and said Holy shit. I've got a lot of uh, people counting on me. I got a lot of people who are relying on me. I got a lot of people who, like I like she mentioned before, when I win, it's a relief because I don't want to let those people down who are cheering for me, who believe in me. I remember how it was to be a fan when I was a young girl of Serena Williams when I saw her play. I know how it felt when she lost. So I don't wanna have I don't wanna bring that type of that, that sadness to little girls who are looking up to me. Man, this, that, and the other. So, if I lose, gulp. I mean, are fans gonna turn on me, or am I gonna be letting anybody down? I mean, I w- She's a people pleaser. I feel. And when people criticize her, when people say you ain't shit, or you're ugly, or you're fat, or whatever, or you know, you'll never be, you'll never be as good as uh, Serena or Steffi Graf. You'll never be as good looking as Anna Kournikova or Gabriella Sabatini, and all this. I don't know. Whatever. Whatever negativity comes her way, she got. She doesn't like that. So she kind of restrains. She kind of backs off from that. So, look, she's going to have to, uh, this is what I would tell her. I would just, look, Naomi, here's the last thing I'm going to tell you. It's all right to be silent and play sports. I'm not asking you to shut up and hit a tennis ball like that race baiting bitch over on Fox. I'm not saying that, but I think it's all right to be silent and just be an awesome tennis player. You can make an impact on others just by being great. You you don't have to be this generation's Muhammad Ali or Billie Jean King or Venus or Serena or Martina Navratilova or John Carlos or Tommy Smith or Colin Kaepernick. You you don't have to be that. That's fine. You don't have to be shouting and screaming. You don't have to, to do those things. You know? Tiger Woods, Derek Jeter, Michael Jordan, they made a huge impact on society without ever talking about race. About, I mean, they, they made a huge impact on society without talking about really anything of substance outside of what they did in terms of uh, golf, basketball, and baseball. I mean, if you're just saying, hey, if you just give a vanilla answer, if you just give a generic answer about what's going on, hey, that's fine. As long as you're whooping ass, that's fine. I just want you to get to the point where, hey, man, look. This tennis is something that I do. It's not who I am. I mean, tennis is my way to pay the bills and have some fun and take care of my family and do all those type of things. You know, I'm only in this for a brief amount of time, whether it's two years or 20 years. There's going to be, you know, when I'm done playing, there's going to be another Naomi Osaka, just like there was going to be another Serena Williams. In terms of the importance of the generation that's, previous, that, that's currently, you know, in charge of this world, this country, there'll, there'll be others. So while I'm here, I'm going to be able, I'm just going to have fun and I'm going to enjoy the ride. I'm going to enjoy the wins and the losses and the competitions and everything that goes with it. Because at the end of the day, it's all about me being happy and me being happy with myself. So hopefully someone of a professional manner or someone close to her, she's got a wonderful boyfriend. It seems like they're in a wonderful relationship. She seems to be happy with that. I don't know. Again, I don't know. I haven't been around them from, from the outside looking in. That's the picture that they're painting us. So that's what I'm going to be going with. Um, I don't know what other inner turmoils or struggle that she had, but uh, I just wish her the best of luck, man. And again, Naomi, don't worry about being Ali. Don't worry about Colin Kaepernick. Don't worry about being anybody like that. Don't don't worry about being the next link in the chain of Althea Gibson, Billie Jean King, Martina Navratilova, um, the, the Williams sisters and such. Don't, don't worry about that in terms of social issues and doing those type of things. You can make a huge impact just by being a good person, which you already are, and a wonderful tennis player, which you already are when your mind and your your uh, focus is there. So there you go. So that's the end of the program for me. I am going to uh, get on out of here. Talked a little bit more about Naomi than I wanted to, but I think this was an important subject to talk about. Anytime you talk about mental health, we've got months and months and months and months and months and months to talk about what's going on in college and pro football. There'll be a lot of that season starts this upcoming Thursday. So there'll be a lot of NFL talk and there'll be a lot of what's wrong with Tom Brady or can Tom Brady play till 50 or this team sucks. This coach needs to be fired. This team's the greatest. This team's going to win the, uh, Bowl, This team is going to win the national championship. Can anybody beat Alabama? The game of the century is this, is this week. And oh my goodness, what's going to happen between these two ranked teams and blah, blah, blah. We talked about Clemson and Georgia already. We talked about, you know, the college games from this weekend. So, you know, just, just indulge me just a little bit for me to go on and let me speak about um, an athlete who I admire, really do, Naomi Osaka. So there you go. So that is the end of the program. think I'm going to end this with a little Diana Ross, reach out and touch somebody's hand. Make this world a better place if you can. If you can. If you can, not go to the hills of Appalachia, go to uh, somewhere up in Idaho. Go, go away from civilization because we don't want you. We don't need you. We want positive people. We want loving people. We want people who are intelligent. We want people with the ability to learn, to listen to others who may not look like them and respect what they're saying, take what they're saying, learn what they say and apply to what they say to make this world, and make your block a better place to be. So reach out and touch somebody's hand from the legend. Flo Ballard might have been sexier. Mary Wilson might have been prettier. But singing-wise... Diana Ross is up there, man. She might not be Aretha. She might not be Anita. But she is a diva. She is a legend. And uh, to get where she wanted to go, she was ruthless. (laughs) And promiscuous. Okay, so reach out in touch somebody's hand. Thank you for listening to Wendell's World and Sports, please.
1: shut and touch somebody's hand make this one